BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie family. Today we are chatting with Liz Moody, who is a recipe developer, cookbook author, health and wellness influencer, and podcast host. I was first introduced to her a few years back when she was the food director at Mind Body Green, and I have been following her across all of her social platforms for a while now. She gives great wellness tips and tricks, advice for those with anxiety, and more recently, a look into her nomad lifestyle. In this episode, we dive into a wide array of topics, her contemplation over whether to have children or not and what she has learned from asking others about their experience, both those who are consciously childless and those who are parents, her journey with anxiety and agoraphobia, her decision to live a nomad lifestyle over the past year and where she believes she falls within the wellness space and so much more. I thoroughly enjoyed today's episode. It was the first time I kind of felt like myself again while interviewing since maternity leave. I hope you guys enjoy as much as I do and as always, all of her handles and everything are in the show notes should you want to join her community as well because they also are a great group of people and without further ado here is liz come on in take a seat Liz, thank you for joining Freckled Foodie and Friends. I'm very pumped to have you. Thank you for having me. All of my audience was like messaging me and they were like, oh my God, it's like my two favorite people on one podcast. They were so excited to hear me on this podcast. So you have a lot of fans in the Liz Moody camp. Oh, I love to hear that. I did get a lot of people saying they were very excited and I've gotten a lot of wonderful people from the Liz Moody camp from when I was on your podcast. So thank They're you the also best for people. having me. They're the best people to have as part of your community. I believe that firmly. Isn't it awesome to be a creator in this space who has a community that you really feel so proud of? Like, I think it's the number one thing I'm most proud of when it comes to my job. I agree with that. I think it's been, it's really special. Like I've had a few people where I've shouted them out or I've done a collab and they've been like, oh my gosh, your audience is so cool. So nice. So like informed and interested and smart. And I'm like, I know. They're great. <laughs> but there's no better feeling. Like I – this is one example, but the woman who does my eyelash extensions, I love her to death. She's like a part of my family now. Like every person in my family I know. I want to try her when I go to New York. You're always – like your eyelashes also always look phenomenal. 
Thank you. But I ha- I really believe she does the best extensions I've ever seen. So everyone in my family goes, all of my friends go. And ever since I started talking about her on my Instagram, like a lot of my community members have been going. And I went to see her the other day and she was like, you have the sweetest people that come and see me. Like the, all of them are so nice. And it made know, me so I happy. I can't wait to do meetups again because I feel like yes. back when I was doing meetups and like my book tour and stuff, it was so cool because the people who would come, I was like, oh, like you're people I'd be friends with in real life. And that's like, that makes it feel just so much more fun on a day-to-day basis. And when you can like share really vulnerable stuff with your community and they're like, we got you, girl. And like, it just, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, these are good people. And sometimes when I'm feeling sad about the world or the state of the people in it, I'm like, well, there's 250,000 really wonderful people in it. So (laughs) that makes me feel a little better. I agree. I can't wait to do meetups again because it just provides such a sense of community and not only an incredible way for us to get to meet the people behind the screen. But they meet each like, other. Yeah, exactly. But they form relationships with each other. And like, and I that's this, amazing. Totally. I started a like Freckled Foodie Mamas Facebook group just honestly because I felt like all of the DMs I was getting were people looking for answers around certain things, but also just like community and assurance that they weren't alone in something. And I started this group being like, you know, who, who, I don't know who will use it. Like I have a freckled foodie community on Facebook and like, it's not very active at all. I feel like not many people are on Facebook, but this mom's group has showed up. There are posts all day long. Like all of these women, they're wonderful. I'm talking about potentially trying to do like virtual stuff with them in the meantime, before we can do in-person stuff, but like people connecting in different cities because specifically I can speak to like as a mom, you know, you want people who are going through it at the same time, maybe in the same area, just to like commiserate. I know that sounds awful, but like- Well, and I feel like your community, you've sort of built a community where honesty is put up on a pedestal and vulnerability and sharing the things people might not share. So I think that would translate to parenthood in a really beautiful way. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Um, While we were on this topic, you have been very vocal (laughs) about your decision. Like, Yeah, why not? Um, (laughs) You've been very vocal about whether – like not whether or not, but that you are trying to decide whether or not you want to have kids. And I really respect you for that because I don't think – the latter is discussed enough that there is an option to not have children. It's almost expected of everyone and it's not what everyone actually wants. And especially for someone to be vocal about the process leading up to that decision, I think is very beneficial for a lot of people. So I'm curious where you stand at this time while we're, while we are recording it. Um, I think Maybe like slightly more leaning towards having one child um, uh, like a little bit later into my 30s. Um, I think that it's been a really interesting process. So I started off with being like, I don't know whether I want to have kids. I feel like there's not a lot of information out there about the actual benefits and negative elements of having kids. And I think there's pros and cons to every choice you make in your life. So I did this podcast series called The Pros and Cons of Having Kids, where I had on people who were childless by choice, people who um, I had on a really wonderful lesbian couple who had to go through the whole IVF process and sperm donation and all of that. Um, I had on an OBGYN who spoke to, I was like, is childbirth really <laughs> terrible? <laughs> um, and she was like, yeah, you got it. But she's, and she's also a mom of an only child, which I think is another choice that people 
sometimes can judge, you know, why aren't you giving your kid a sibling? It's like, once you've had one, you need to have another. And I was just trying to kind of get the honest reactions of people because I think it's really hard. Nobody's going to say like, I don't want this child, this human that I brought into the earth. But I think what I was surprised by was when stuff was anonymous, a lot of people said stuff like, um, I don't know if I like my life better now. Like I, I love this person so much, but I don't know if I'm more satisfied with my life as a whole. And I miss who I was before. And I miss having my time and things like that. And then there was a lot of parents who were really thrilled with the decision as well. It really went both ways. And I think something I've realized in recent months is how much of the conversation around parenting is really just people almost like it's one of the biggest life choices you can make. It's one of the ones that's hardest to walk back on. Like a lot, you move somewhere, you don't like it. You move somewhere else. You um, start a job and you don't like it. You get a different job. You can even get divorced. Children are there forever. I mean, like all the, God forbid anything happens or whatever, but like it's a permanent choice to become a parent. And so I think when you hear people's thoughts on it, it has a lot more to do with wanting the most permanent choice they've ever made to be validated than it has to do with what their real feelings on it. And I think that that comes out in a lot of the conversations that you see happening online where people are like, I can't believe you would choose not to have a child, or I can't believe that you guys aren't talking about how terrible it is to be a parent, whatever. It's just looking for the validation on both sides. And I think what I've come to is that they're both really beautiful and valid and wonderful options for people. I also think it's crazy that we don't, I mean, we're within the first, what, 50 to 70 years of women even really having the choice not to have children. And so we're in the very nascent phases of this cultural conversation even beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that it makes sense that it's going to be an emotional conversation. It makes sense it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. But I also think it's important that we have it because the role of being a woman in this world has shifted so dramatically over the past half century. And I think acknowledging that and acknowledging the arc and shape of history in the decisions that we're making is important. So all of that said, <laughs> um, I we really don't know. We haven't decided like officially yet, but I think um, I'm leaning towards a maybe one in the vein of like, this is a life experience that I think I would like to have. I'm I'm like an experienced junkie. We were talking about this before we started recording. I feel very compelled to have as experienced rich of a life as possible. Um, so I think I'm leaning in that direction, but don't quote me. Well, it's obviously always something you can always change your mind on until the moment. Until until you can. (laughs) Until it's permanent. Um, But I agree that I think this really is a conversation that's becoming more of a topic that people are willing to discuss. But again, because it's so permanent and because the people who have chosen to have kids, you can't go back on it. I think there's a lot of emotion when it comes to it. And I also think there's just a lot of judgment when it comes to parenting in general. People have so many opinions, you know, whether it's the simple thing of like, um, uh, epidural or a natural birth, like that right off the bat, we're talking about the birthing process, like nothing, the baby hasn't even been born yet and the judgment already starts. And even have, like- Yeah. I think that's such an interesting thing too, because like, where does that come from? There's no other 
painful thing a person would like you would never be like oh I chose to get my wisdom teeth out without using anesthesia and everybody would be like wow you're so powerful we love you or you're like you would never be like oh they're gonna do like appendix surgery and I was like no I'm gonna just try to power through and like if I can't I'll go for the epidural and it's like it's fucking what like it's just I just find it so like if you want to do an unmedicated birth great for you but I actually like don't understand where the cultural construct of like applauding one versus the other actually comes from when it seems like it's just like every other thing that's painful in the world. We're like, oh, we have painkillers for that. Great. Like let's use them. Which is that it's funny you use the example of the wisdom teeth because my husband actually got his wisdom teeth without going under. He refused. Why? He denied going under because it was expensive and he didn't think his insurance was going to be right. Liz, I was actually so upset because I was leaving work early to get him from the dentist because I was told he was going under and someone had to pick him up. And I was so excited for him to be like loopy, like in all those videos. And I was just so pumped. I get there. He's totally fine. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I didn't go under. They th- said it was going to be an extra like few grand. And I said, I don't want to pay for it. I'm like, okay, you're crazy. Do they but- local numb it at least? Yes. Yes. yes, yes. Okay. He- They're not wait, just like drilling no, away. Hell no. <laughs> yeah. I feel with, like with, I'm not positive about this, but I think my father-in-law, he's in his 90s. I think he like tells stories about getting cavities filled like back when they were just like, no, we'll just like take it out. Oh, like, God. <laughs> but the I think the judgment on this specific thing when it comes to an epidural, at least from the experience of I've had the few comments, are that people claim, you know, there's always like people who disagree with medication, even the judgment I got for being on my anti-anxiety medication while I was pregnant. People think, oh, well, it's getting to the baby. And I think that maybe is the main argument for people. Has there been any literature or studies that show that it it does get to the baby? The epidural? Yeah. Cannot say that I did that research, um, so I don't know. I was very much pro-epidural. I mean, in my opinion, we we wouldn't be giving epidurals to women if they were harmful. To the I just babies. think that's always my question when people are like, well, I have this like icky feeling about something. And I think I run into this and I try to be this voice in the wellness world. I, ha- I, I try to like approach wellness with the same eye I would approach anything I did during my journalism career of being like, well, people are like, well, I have this feeling. I'm like, okay, well, let's look into it. It's cool that you have the feeling, but is it valid? Can we find research to back that? Can we find reputable sources who can speak to that? And I think in your case, what you're basically saying is your reputable sources were your doctors. Right. I mean, I trust my Historical doctors, (laughs) and then you're going to trust them. And so I think, I think that like, I, I think the wellness world can get a little tricky when people start trusting, like there's the difference between trust your gut and then seek out reputable sources to validate your gut. And I think that's so important, but I think trust your gut and then stop there is where wellness can kind of go off the rails. I want to totally sideline this topic because it's the topic I want to chat with you, but I want to finish the parenting first because regarding the judgment of parenting decisions, I just think that in general, and this is something I think we also are very common in of just sharing our emotions. And even if they're making people uncomfortable, you know, sharing where we stand on things and being vulnerable on our platforms. And that's something that I have felt judgment for when it comes to parenting, because I've been very open about like, I love Liam more than the fucking world. The second he came out of my vagina, I would step in front of anything to protect him. Like I got this mama bear protectiveness that I felt towards like my friends and family, but to on steroids to the nth degree with him. And 
there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. But at the same time, I'm still in this process of mourning past versions of myself because I do think when you become a parent, you really become a new person. I think that there are still constants within your life that have remained similar, but nothing is the same. Even if you look at your morning routine, your exercise journey, your body, your relationships with your friends, your relationships with your partner, your relationships with your family, like your career, your relationship towards your career. I was just saying to you beforehand, like I'm having a really hard time because I don't want, I have to force myself to work because all I want to do is be playing with him. And that has never been my situation. I've always Mm. been so excited and like thrived in my workforce. And I do think that everything changes and I'm not saying all are in a positive way. I'm not saying all are in a negative way, but everything does evolve. And I don't think that is talked about enough where you do have to kind of mourn past versions of yourself and get to know the new version because she or he, whatever you identify as, is a new person. And I think people feel uncomfortable talking about that because it can seem from the outside that you are quote unquote ungrateful, which I hate because you can be really happy and sad at the same time. And that doesn't mean that you're ungrateful. And I felt this way with my pregnancy. Casey Musgraves sang a whole song about it. Yes. So (laughs) I think that's why people are less common to share the negative quote unquote side of parenting because there is this judgment of like, well, then why'd you have a kid? Or you're so ungrateful. I want a kid so badly and you have one and you're complaining. Yeah. I do think it's interesting because on the flip side, I think in the social media era, a lot of women are feeling more empowered to come forward and share yes. the negative elements, and which I think is so great for them. But as a person who's trying to decide, I'm like, wow, <laughs> this looks really hard and terrible. <laughs> like, it's like, I almost like wish people were like, can we go back? Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's just like, wow, like you seem so tired all of the time. Um, like there's a lot of TikToks I've been running across people being like, if you're thinking about having a kid, just realize that like a lot of your time is going to be spent doing the most boring activities. And then there's like a woman watching her kid run up and down the hill. And then at the end of the TikTok, he comes in and she's like, oh yeah, that is a rock. And it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like, I think it's so cool that we are having these honest and open conversations at any time society in general is moving towards honesty and openness. I will applaud it. But, um, Sometimes I want to hear more like it's it's interesting the parenting thing because I feel like people are like here are the hard things and then they list them and define them and then the good thing is you feel this there it's so much more esoteric and amorphous it's like you feel this type right. of love you've never felt before you feel a sense of protection you feel like a new person blah 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 and those I can't I can't get there. Like, I'm like, well, I don't know what that means, but I know what it means not to be able to sleep and to watch a kid run up and down a hill for 12 hours. So, and I, I guess maybe, I mean, do you think the good parts of parenting are undefinable or a little bit more ineffable? It's interesting because as you're saying that, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. And this is something I've honestly been struggling with because the love is so deep that I don't have words for it. And is I it love deeper her. than any love you felt before, like for your without, parents or for without a doubt, it doesn't even it doesn't come close. I love Joe so much, but this is like a love I have never ever tapped into, and I think it's changed the way I love other people because I love Joe deeper 
watching him be a parent. That doesn't mean it's been easy. There have definitely been arguments and hard conversations, but I love him in this new way, watching him parent. I also love my parents in a new way. Like I have Mm. a better relationship with my mom right now because I have so much respect for everything she did for me as a mother. And now that I'm experiencing it and I'm realizing how all consuming it is, I'm like, I am so appreciative of you. And I'm sorry, my whole childhood, you were saying how you feel like everything you do is unnoticed and you're invisible and no one pays attention to you because I felt that way. And I've only had Liam for three months. So like, (laughs) I see you. Um, I also think that, so yes, I would say the number one thing that I have experienced that is on the positive side is this level of love that I can't describe. But another thing that's indescribable is the feeling of being needed in a way that I never have. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard because you feel you can't escape it and like you can't take a shit in peace. But on the flip side, it's a really rewarding feeling to know that someone needs you so deeply. Mm -hmm. And I, I texted my friend. I said, this is so fucking twisted. She's a new mom also. But for the first time, Liam was like throwing a crying bitch fit and my mom was holding him and then someone else was holding him. And I was like, here, let me just have him. And he calmed down the second he was in my arms. And I was like, that mm. was so wonderful. And I know that sounds twisted to say, no, but it you're really like, you're was like, I rewarding. have magical powers. And also I think one of the things, which again, I don't know if this is feasible to understand until you experience it, but your respect for yourself as a female to physically, if you are the one who's birthing this child, to really witness yourself go through this transformation over nine months, of which I didn't really enjoy, if we're being honest. I didn't love being pregnant. But when he came out of my body, I truly felt like I could take on the world. And like the new level of confidence I have around a lot of aspects of my life, because I'm like, I have a vortex between my legs that brings human life into this world. There is nothing cooler than that. In my opinion. Do you feel like it was net positive for your anxiety then? Like, yes. do you feel like it it helped you feel, I guess, empowered in a way that would help combat some feelings of anxiety? Yeah, I think there's new anxiety around things that I didn't have anxiety around before, such as like his safety and that kind of stuff. Um, but I said this to Joe in a weird and very surprising way, being a mom has made me a more chill person because I don't know if your anxiety is like this, but for me, a lot of my anxiety comes when I have downtime or free time or just space for my mind to wander. I think and I get obsessed. Yeah, I get obsessed over things because I want to control them. And in reality, I, I'm able to realize they don't matter, like what I'm having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner that day, or how many workouts I'm doing that week, or what type of workouts I'm doing. Like that's when I tap into my somewhat orthorexic thinking in the past. And now there is no time to worry. And even if there is time, those things seem so not important to me anymore that I just don't care. Like we went on a family trip recently and I showed up and my sister had like planned all the stuff and I was like, oh, where are we going to dinner while we're in the car? She's like, this is so different. You would have like been the one to research all the restaurants. You would have planned the dinner. You would have had the menu up. You would have known what you're getting. I'm just like, I have to show up because there's other things I have to worry about and these just can't take up brain space. And so it's made me a more chill version of myself in other ways. 
I think that's one of the most um, intriguing and positive parts about having a kid to me is I think anxiety, and I say this as somebody with extreme anxiety, is a somewhat narcissistic disorder. Like it's you planning a future that and fear, planning and fearing a future that nobody else is experiencing in your head. You're basically living in a world that you've created in your head. And so it's very self-focused. And the fact that having a child makes you have to be so extremely other focused. And I don't think I'm like a self-focused or narcissistic person in my life. Like I think a lot about Zach's needs and my family's needs and my friend's needs. And I'm, I'm a pretty attentive, sometimes too much, and that gets me in trouble, like person. But to have so much of your focus not be able to be in your head and in your own worlds and scenarios you're building and have to be external, I think would be really good for me. And I felt the same way, if we're being honest. That was why we got our dog, Charlie, because I wanted to get out of my own head and I wanted something else to focus on. And I do think that anxiety can be a narcissistic. I don't know what we want to call it, disease disorder, but because you're, you are very obsessed with yourself and what's happening to yourself if you're yeah. focusing on your life, which a lot of times I am. And again, it doesn't mean we're narcissists, but it's no. just hard for us to get out of that mindset. And I'm glad you brought up anxiety because that was something I wanted to chat about with you. We talked a lot about it when I was on your podcast, but for those people – who are listening, who haven't listened to our episode or who don't listen to your show yet, can you walk us through what your journey? What are they doing? Yeah, what are they doing? <laughs> can you walk us through your journey with anxiety? Um. Yeah, uh, like short version or long version? We can do short, so then we'll dive into deeper okay. topics with questions. Super short. I've always been like somewhat of an anxious person, but I uh, have felt like had ways to deal with it. And then when I was in college, I got – really into drugs and partying. And I was traveling by myself in Brazil and I smoked a joint while I was anorexic and I had a seizure by myself at a Bob's Burgers while asking for my burger without ketchup. Um, And uh, I thought that that was like a, you know, I kind of like woke up in the hospital and the guy gave me chips, the doctor. It was like a really – it was like a hospital they would take anybody who didn't have insurance to in Brazil. And it was a, there was like a guy bleeding out next to me. And it was a pretty traumatic experience, but I didn't think it was traumatic at the time. And so I kind of like went back to living my party girl life. And then I started having what I thought were like me about to have a seizure, but they were actually panic attacks um, mm-hmm. and kept having panic attacks. And then my husband and I, my now husband, who was my husband at the time, moved to England And I quit my job and I was going to like write a novel and lean into my writer self. And uh, so I ended up just like writing all day. I wouldn't see anybody. He would go to school all day. Our roommates were in his graduate school program, so they'd go to school all day. And I became completely agoraphobic. I didn't – I ended up – it like devolved over the course of a year. And then I ended up not being able to like leave my house without having panic attacks and then not leave my bed without having panic attacks Um, and that's actually like what brought me into the wellness world. I started because I had had a background in journalism. Like when I was in bed, I would like email the like professor of neuroscience at Stanford and be like, what's happening in my brain with anxiety and what can I do to stop it? And he actually, like most people responded, which really surprised me at the time. They were like, yeah. And so that's when I started to sort of like, I started to cobble together 
a wellness plan for myself based on what these people were saying, which is ultimately what got me to a place where I was even functional with anxiety again. Um, and then a lot of other stuff happened and now I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) So to the beginning of that story and thank you for sharing and being vulnerable and giving us an inside look into your journey with mental health because I appreciate it and I think so many others do as well. What age were you when you had that seizure? I was 19. Okay. So young. And did you ever find out what caused the seizure? So a lot of people, like every doctor I've said is, I bought my weed in the favelas in Brazil, um, which is like, it was like really shitty weed. And every single doctor I've talked to is like, that weed was probably laced with something. And I was Mm -hmm. like, always like, no, I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was my body malfunctioning. But the older I've gotten, I've been like, the weed was probably laced with something. But also, um, I don't want to be like triggering to anybody, but I was at an extremely low body weight as well. I And the only information I got from the doctor at the hospital was that I had extremely low blood sugar. Um, so I think it could have been a combination of substance yeah. and being so underweight and unhealthy. I mean, that is a recipe for disaster many times. Yes. So I, But I think I, it's so interesting because I normalized it for so long. I was like, I wasn't doing that many drugs. I wasn't that underweight. So it must have been my body. And it's really only – and like I really have had a a hard time getting to a relationship with my body where I trust my body. I trust in what it can do. I trust in what it can provide me um, because I was so loath to accept that it could have been these external shitty things I was doing to myself. I was like, no, no, those were normal and my body was fucked up. And um, it's, it's been a really weird adjustment process of being like, those weren't normal. You were putting yourself in really extreme and shitty situations. Do you think you felt that way? Because at the time you wanted to continue those things that you were telling yourself were normal? Maybe. I also think I was looking for like reasons to trust anything outside of myself. Like I think I had a lot more trust in the world around me and the other people and a lot less trust in myself and my body. Also, further context, my mother, uh, when I was two years old, got in um, a horseback riding accident and she ended up being in a coma for like a year and having some um, frontal lobe brain damage as a result of that. And her and my father got divorced as a result of that. And it was something I internalized from a really young age that these like one in a million negative things that can happen to your body, whether it's like a crazy accident or like when they're like, your chances of cancer are so slim. And I'm like, no, no, like the one in a million stuff happens and it like destroys lives. Like if that accident was this little moment, not a, I mean, it was a huge moment, but it had this just huge ripple effect. And the older that I've gotten, the more I've seen the ripple effect on my entire family. Um, and so I think I don't have – I didn't have faith in myself and I didn't have faith in the universe, but I had faith in what was in between that, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I had faith in like other people are drinking and doing drugs, so that must be fine. And like other people are traveling around Brazil by themselves, so that must be fine. And like this was the time where like Mary-Kate and Ashley and Hilary Duff and Lindsay Lohan had their like bobblehead bodies and that was yeah. being like the height of fashion and glamour and media. So I was like, that must be fine. So I put all of those things in like the bucket of 
must be fine. So it was like either I wasn't fine on the inside of the circle or the whole universe at large also wasn't fine and like didn't have my back in that way. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes, it does. And I think, again, it's almost like similar to a conversation with parenting. It's hard to like tangibly describe the feelings and emotions and why we're thinking these ways. And I want to say that I'm very sorry for what happened with your parents and your mom specifically. And I I totally get where you're coming from, from a perspective of that one in a million happened to you. And so it's really hard. And I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to not have potential anxiety over those future one in a million, because I can speak from familial experience where we've lost two very good family friends in those one in a million style life events. Um, And it's deeply impacted my mother's relationship with anxiety around Mm. certain things because it's been those one in a million. So like who's to say it might not happen again. So I I do understand from a personal observatory level where you're coming from. And going back to what you were saying with your journey with anxiety, when you eventually moved to England – and yes. the like the agoraphobia, was that something you had ever experienced beforehand or was that the first time that it came up? No, that was the first time. I'm like a person, I thought I would thrive in England because I'm, when I was in college, like the reason I was even in Brazil, I was backpacking around South America for like 12 months by myself. I'm a very much a independent, I love traveling. I loved going and having these like big adventures all over the world. I traveled. I When I was in school, I would like go to school for a semester and then I'd go travel for a semester by myself almost all of the time. Um, and so, yeah, no, I'd never, I've never had anything like the agoraphobia. And it just like, it crept up on me. Zach and I were talking about this yesterday where he was like, when did it start for you? And I was like, I think when we moved to our second house, um, And we're now wondering too, we had extreme mold issues in that house. And I do wonder if the mold like played a role, which I've never, I didn't identify that until pretty recently. But even in the first house, I remember we'd take London super spread out and I took the Piccadilly tube line to go to Zach's school and like hang out with him and his friends, which was my only social contact. And it's this teeny tiny tube. It's like you're sitting almost knee to knee with the person that's across from you. And it's so deep underground. And I remember it, even in the beginning getting this like fear of like, I don't like this tube line. I, and then I stopped wanting to go to his school. And I hadn't identified that being like the beginning phases of it. And then it was interesting you were saying with anxiety, having your mind wander can be a really crappy feeling. And mm-hmm. that was the second place it started to appear was waiting in line. And I've actually since learned that waiting in line can be a huge trigger for people it's with anxiety. It's a massive trigger for me. Yeah. It's because you're stuck. You're stuck. You don't have something to do. And I, and I started like leaving my cart um, and mm-hmm. like not being able to finish the checkout process. And that was my next sort of like, oh shit, you can't check out at a grocery store, this might be a sign of a problem. Um, but yeah, it just it sort of like crept up and it was like one little thing and then another. And then the day that I realized it was a real problem was Zach invited me to go watch like a rugby game in a pub with his friends. And I literally realized I could not bring myself to go, um, which – and then I was like, oh, shit, this, is, <laughs> this isn't great. Yeah. And I got a therapist and I would go to therapy every week. Um, that was the only time I left the house. I would have a panic attack on the tube there and then I'd have a panic attack on the tube back. But the therapy itself was 
was quite helpful. I wish it was like now, or maybe it wouldn't be better, but like now I'm like Zoom therapy all the way. It's wonderful. It is very nice to not have to go to my therapist's office. I'm not going to lie. And I'm curious because I actually thought about you the other day. I've had anxiety for most of my life, but never really social anxiety until I think honestly probably around after my car accident. That's when it sparked a little bit. And then I kind of felt okay. And now I think COVID has brought on this new Mm. form of social anxiety. And I'm curious with the agoraphobia, well, it's twofold because I'm curious, did you feel this ever come back on in the beginning of COVID, like the first, you know, March, 2020, when we were in lockdown. And then the second follow-up question is like, it's very interesting to me now that as someone with a history of this, you are a nomad currently. Yeah. Um, I was terrified that it would, honestly. And I thought about it a lot because I left, I had a full-time job up until January of 2020. Um, and no, no, January of 2019. And I left that job to go on book tour. I was the food director at Mind Body Green, which is like a wellness website. And I credit that job for, I, I'd gotten over a lot of humps of my anxiety, but it wasn't until I had the structure of going back into a nine to five workspace that I really felt like I became like a thriving person again. And so when I was making the decision to leave to, go do my brand full time to do my podcast, to do my book tour and all of those things. I was like, is this, am I taking away the thing that made me healthy and happy and feeling good again? And so I'd had that whole thought process before COVID and then I did and it was fine. And I was, I proceeded with like such kid gloves too. Like I was just like, and I set up all these structures in place. Like I, um, I joined Soho house so that I would like have a place to go. Same. <laughs> um, and, and like just to have people around me. Um, and then when COVID happened, so I had this like one year of kind of like thriving without that structure. And then COVID happened and I had this whole thing again of like being like, Oh, is, is this going to come back now that outside really isn't safe? And a lot of my anxieties were around the notion that outside wasn't safe, but I didn't, I actually like feel like I, you know, I had anxiety periods and not, but I think an interesting thing, at least for me about my anxiety is that often I've been preparing for a pandemic in my head for like 15 years. Like I remember when swine flu was a thing. I had it. You had swine flu? Yep. Freshman oh my god, college. it made me so because there was so much um press about how it was affecting young people. And I was like, I'd been preparing before then for the 1918 flu my whole life. And I was just like, and and when and the second wave of the 1918 flu was when it started impacting young people. Like it had mutated in a way that it caused that cytokine storm and started impacting young people. And I was like, when swine flu hit, I was like, this is it. It's, this is the end of our days. And I remember that when the vaccine came out for that, it was me in line with like um, 75 pregnant women, <laughs> like me. And I was just, and there was like anybody could get it, but like most people were like, we don't care. And I was just like, I've got this. I really want this vaccine. Thank you so much. Um, so I like lined up in San Francisco to get it. But like, I feel like the situations in my head are always so much worse somehow than mm-hmm. what actually plays out in reality. So in some ways I feel like my anxiety like prepared me for COVID and I was like okay, like this like in my 
I don't know. In my mind, people were like running around screaming on the streets and they were like, we're all dying. And like, in reality, it was scary. And especially in the first few months we were in New York and there were sirens 24 hours a day. And it was really scary because we didn't know at that point how it was transmitted. So that was the period we were all still like washing our groceries and um, afraid to like go to the grocery store and stuff like that. But it wasn't somehow as scary as what I had pictured. So I was... I was like more okay than I thought I'd be. Well, honestly, when you say that, that's one of my tactics to calm my anxiety. My therapist brought this up with me where she's like, think about every worst case scenario you've ever created in one of your spiral sessions. And I was like, okay, I'm there. I'm I'm deep in. I'm tapped into every spiral. And she's like, how many of them have ever come true? And none of them have ever hit that max spiral, like wild chain of events. And for me, that statistic helps in a way when I'm spiraling, knowing that 0% of those spirals have come true. Bad things have happened, but it's never been something I've necessarily spiraled about. So I'm sure maybe that helps you. But I know for me personally, I'm having a very hard time now where we're in this middle ground and just for context to be determined on when this episode will release, but it's the end of August because things change so drastically. I don't want people to be like, what are you talking about? Um, (laughs) Currently, it's the end of August, and I'm having a really hard time because we don't know so much about the Delta variant specifically, and especially now that we have a son, how it's impacting small children and whether he has the antibodies, and the list goes on and on, and I'm finding myself very anxious around social things. Yeah. Even if in my head, inherently, I know that they're on the safer side and I've taken the most amount of precautions I can, it's definitely impacting me in a way that I hadn't expected. And so I was curious, like, I mean, you answered this, but your standpoint on how it was impacting your anxiety specifically socially and leaving the house because you kind of did the ultimate reverse of agoraphobia and you were like, I'm not going to have a permanent home. I'm going to be a nomad. So can you tell us about your experience with that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I just did an interview um, about the neuroscience of anxiety for my podcast, and she said two things that I think might be helpful in the context of the COVID thing, which is one, I think the antidote to anxiety, at least she she believes on a neuroscientific level, is taking action. So anything that you can do – and I've always – I found this in so many parts of my life. Like I also just interviewed – I'm doing this like How I Got My Dream Job series, and I interviewed an author, and we were talking about creativity and like how creativity isn't just like – fly by and then you're just like, oh, I shall write a novel now. It's like right. you sit down and start working and that's what sparks the creativity. And I think that taking action in so much of your life is – or we were talking about with sex too, how like um, women are often like, hopefully I'll get turned on soon. But like <laughs> in actuality – most women need to start engaging in sexual actions and then they will be turned on. And it's like a hard thing to process. So I think action is often the antidote to most feelings, most negative feelings and uh, pushes you in a positive direction. And so I think with anxiety, anything you can do that is taking productive action is a really nice antidote to anxiety. And then I also think the, the other thing we talked about was how so much of anxiety is like taking that action, controlling the things you can control, and then like letting go of the things that you can't. And obviously the latter part is so fucking hard to do. But I've been trying to practice. Like I I just had this like um, 
public breakdown with my first flight post COVID where (laughs) I was just like, I like, I had the worst panic attack I've had in so long. I've always had a fear of flying. I would fly between my parents as a kid by myself and, and just ball the whole time. It was like a really traumatic experience for me. Um, and it was my first flight since COVID. And I was just like convinced I was going to die. I had a panic attack all night long. And I also, I'd saved four clonopins from back in New York and I had them like, and they were like my little insurance policy. And I was like, if I need my clonopins, I can take them. And then at two in the morning, I was sitting there, my my whole body physically hurt because my anxiety was so bad. And I was like, mm-hmm. I need my clonopins. I ravaged the whole house and I couldn't, couldn't find freaking them. find them. I have no idea where they are. So if you... If you're the person who found my four <laughs> clonopins that are definitely expired, um, but I was, I like had gotten my therapist to, I was like, is there any harm in taking expired clonopins? And she's like, I'm not going to give you medical advice about this, but yes, it's okay. <laughs> um, so I'd gotten permission to take my expired clonopins, but I couldn't find them. And on the plane though, like it was a whole shit show to get on the plane and blah, blah. And then on the plane, I was like, instead of being like, I usually have this mental conversation, like there's a ding or a ping and I'm like, oh, that must mean this and that's why I'm okay. Or like the turbulence means this and that's when I'm okay. And I realized that that was just me trying to control the things that I couldn't control. It was me trying to like grasp for these tiny semblances of control in a situation that was totally out of my control. So instead of doing that on this flight, I think I was like so just like mentally beaten down at the point I got on that I like my mind was maybe more open, but I instead adopted this mantra, I trust the pilot and Mm -hmm. this is out of my control. And this is an experience that I can practice letting go of control in and I trust the pilot. And so instead, when there was turbulence, instead of like even looking out the window and being like, are we flying through clouds? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Or if there's a ding or ping being like, I don't know, did the plane slow down a little bit? Did it speed up? Who knows? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I trust the pilot. This is a situation I can practice being out of control. So I do think that letting go of control is a muscle. And if we can assure ourselves that we've controlled everything that's realistically within our control and then practice working that muscle of letting go of control, it can be a really positive thing for us. And the flight back was one of the best flights I've ever taken. And it was clonopin free, not by choice, but it was. <laughs> I agree. I think the letting go of control is a huge muscle that we need to exercise and flex as often as we can. And for me, like just to give an example for anyone listening who's looking for ways to give up control, something that I found really helpful is like food is something that I've always, not always, but within the past 10 years of my life, um, searched to control. And two years ago, it really became aware to me how much I was trying to control it. And so an exercise I did with my now husband, or I guess we were, yeah, it was when we were dating or engaged, um, was giving up control over dinner some nights. And he, I'd say, mm. I cannot tell you what we're ordering. I'm not cooking dinner. You are totally in charge of putting a meal in front of me. And it seems so easy to many people. And so like, why is that a hard exercise? But for those who struggle with control, specifically if food is one of those arenas, it's a really nice way to flex and exercise that muscle because it slowly starts to bleed into other arenas and areas of your life. And I know personally, like it's something I've become way better versed in letting go of control. Obviously not with everything, but with certain things. Well, and I think thinking of it as a muscle is really comforting because then it's like even in times where you like might 
fail and be like, no, no, I actually do need to order. It's like, okay, but you still work that muscle a little bit. And it makes it feel like when you've gone through this hard thing of when you have seated control, you're like, this is progressive and productive. And it's going to add to not only seating control in this area of my life, but also recognizing the ability and when I need to do that in other areas of my life. And it makes it feel better for me because it makes it feel like that plane flight wasn't in isolation and just something hard I went through, but it's actually me working those muscles to have bigger gains. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the muscle people say in the future, (laughs) you know, (laughs) big gains, all about the gains. Yeah. Big muscles. Do you feel a sense of control or out of control by choosing to live in like different places month by month or week by week, whatever it's considered? I think both. I think, first of all, I think it's really important to recognize from a scientific perspective that I'm a Sagittarius moon. And so I think it's really important. You're so serious. I'm joking. I was just going to say scientific. <laughs> like, are we, I was about, I was letting you finish because I'm trying not to cut people off. You're just your face. Say, <laughs> Liz, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm a Sagittarius moon, which means I have wanderlust in my spirit. Um, and I think that's really important to recognize and validate. No, um, but I do um I love astrology. I don't I don't know how much I believe in it, but I love it because it's like you're a Leo, so you're the life of the party and a bright sunshiny ball. And I'm like, I am that, you know. Right. We all believe the great sides of it and then the negatives. Well, and like, then I'm Capricorn rising, which means I'm like an anal bitch. <laughs> There's <laughs> that side too. Um my astrology friends assure me that's why I get anything done in my life. So I'm supposed to be grateful for it from that perspective. But it's it's both. So I think that it it really feeds into this like I love I love traveling. I also think that I love feeling like I'm I have momentum and propulsion and I'm moving forward. I like change for the sake of change. I like I, I think in, in its worst days, it can veer into like running from myself and not being able to sit still and feel comfortable. But on its best days, I really do think that it's a beautiful thing to like get to experience the world and evolve and change and grow constantly. And I'm always seeking that out. And so I think that nomad life really, really feeds into that for me. Um, it's also nice from an anxiety perspective because if – uh, you know, we get a house that's like too close to a highway and it's really loud or there's like a weird light that goes on and off in the middle of the night and impacts my sleep. I'm like, well, we're here for a month and then it's over. Whereas in our New York apartment, there was, we, we got the parlor floor apartment and it was so beautiful, teeny tiny, but really beautiful. And we didn't realize until we were living there that you could hear every single person who came in and out of the apartment building because the door was on our floor and it was loud and just like an old little brownstone building. Um, And so every night I would lay there and be like, when's the next person like going to come in the Mm -hmm. door and slam the door and wake me up? And I was afraid of the door slamming rather like, yeah, it it just, it contributed to my insomnia and I'd already signed a year long lease. And so then I was like, well, I have to stay in this forever. And so the feeling of like an escape route has been really helpful for my anxiety. And then at the same time, it's really encouraged flexibility. Like I'm not controlling, you know, I think there's a lot of talk in the wellness world of like, and I even encourage this, like for people to get like a non-toxic mattress and stuff like that and like limit the box in their house and make their home because you're spending so much time there and you can control that environment. Like don't try to control the air at your office because I think that is where you're, it's outside of your control and you should just accept that. But you can make your home like a really healthy 
safe haven environment. And I can't do that right now. And I think it's been really good for me to to let go of that, to be like, I'm sleeping on some toxic chemicals and I'm okay with that. And like, that's going to be fine for me. And then do the little things I think that we can do. Like we travel with our sink water filter and our shower water filter. Uh, the latter is for vanity as much as it is for health. I have one for vanity purely. It ch- changes your <laughs> life. We That was like probably the best thing to come out of England is I the water so hard there that my hair was chunky. And one of my British friends was like, you need to get a shower filter. And I was like, oh, what? And now I'm like beautiful hair, beautiful skin all the time. So if you don't have a shower filter, get a shower filter. It's the best $30 that you will ever spend in your life. If you live in um, Jersey, definitely get one. The water is live in so the harsh world. in Jersey. In the yes. world. It's just like it makes you – it makes your hair and skin look good. And I'm just like if you're spending money on hair and skin products and you don't have a shower filter, you're missing the boat there. Uh, but yeah, it's like it's been a really good exercise in like letting go of the things – that I can't control and enjoying and embracing them. And then, you know, having these little things that make it feel like home. Like we travel with our bedding, uh, which I love. And we travel with um, our cat (laughs) who makes it feel like home everywhere that we are. And it's been really fun. It's been like a really lovely adventure. And I'm really, really enjoying it, especially now that people are vaccinated. So we have people – you know, flying out to visit us and right. stuff like that. And then it does feel, I think, a big benefit of Nomad Life. A big downside is we really miss our communities and we miss those sort of more casual social interactions. But the benefit is that when people come out, we have these huge adventures together and it feels really like it feels like it's worth like 10 casual nights at a bar to like have somebody get to explore Montana with you, you know? Absolutely. And I think it's almost a little bit like controlled change because yes, things are changing, but you have a say in how they're changing. You have a say in where you're going next. You have a say in how long that next change is going to last. You have a say in all those things. And I I think it would almost be a very good experiment for someone like us who struggles with giving up control. And I also want to say, I mean, you're living my dream. Like if I, when COVID like started, I turned to Joe and I was like, I mean, sh- should we go like just live wherever? Like this is our time. It's now or never. Like you're working from home. Um, he shot it down very quickly. He's a way more structured. And I'm structured too, but I have that little bit of like, should we just say fuck it and like run with the wind uh, or go with the wind, whatever the saying is. And he shot it down and then I got pregnant. Obviously then that kind of got tossed out the window. But I am like vicariously living through you for your content or through your content. So if you guys are interested in this nomad life, because I'm sure you have 10,000 questions about it, I'm just go watch Liz's page because <laughs> she explains it all more in detail. And like, you can be jealous of her new life from your- You can be jealous. But I also do think it's nomad life is interesting because it's like any other type. I mean, you- live in New York City and I'm sure you're privy to all the like glamorize your life New York City social media content that exists and I was too when I was there like I I was definitely the person when I first moved to New York when I was in my early 20s where I was like that was my personality I was like I live in New York and thus I'm immediately cooler than anybody else I meet and this is just like validated why I'm a cool person on this planet and I come from like a pretty small town and so that was like I just thought it was I thought it was so cool but like I do think Nomad Life is like anything else. Zach and I just, I have like this secret podcast on my Patreon where mostly it's where I can like not be embarrassed or any, like mm-hmm. just kind of really, really, really go there. And Zach and I did one yesterday about the pros and cons of Nomad Life. And I think that there are a lot of cons and there are a lot of pros. Same with 
having kids, Same I just think so, so much in life where like, that's the answer. If I go nomad life, I'll be happy. If I move to Paris, I'll be happy. If I have a kid, I'll be happy. If I choose to be childless, I'll be happy. If I find a partner, I'll be happy. And it's like, no, you'll be happy at times and you'll be sad at times. You'll maybe like Casey Musgraves, be happy and sad at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we often, and I think social media really plays a big role in this. We think that one life is like worth being jealous of. And it's just kind of like we're all people doing our day-to-day thing and there's always good parts and bad parts. And nomad life is exactly the same as that, as anything else. It's I feel really proud that I live a very intentional life moment to moment, but I think there's a lot of different – and I would say that if somebody's looking to live a a good and meaningful life, living with as much intentionality moment to moment is the thing that I would lean towards more – than doing any of the glamorize your life stuff. I think you can live with intentionality in a small town in Iowa as much as you can in LA or New York. Yes, I totally agree. And I think the concept that anyone has all happiness in their life or all positive and no negative, no sadness is bullshit. So don't even begin to compare yourself to anyone who's trying to make it seem otherwise. I want to quickly go back before we finish because I don't want to take too much of your time. But the conversation that we sidelined, because I also think it ties into what you just said about when you're a nomad and you're not sleeping on the toxic-free mattress and all these things that wellness industry has kind of thrown at us, I felt it's very easy to be all consumed by. And I am like their target demographic. And when I first started to dive into and get interested into the wellness space, I became all consumed by it. I thought I had to do everything. I thought I needed everything. I had all of the appointments. You know, I was filling up all of my time. It's being sold to me. And I think it was right when COVID hit, a mix of my accident and then COVID two years later, making me realize that I don't need all those things because they no longer became accessible to me like so many other areas of the world that they're not accessible to. And it made me realize, oh, I don't need all those things to feel my best or to be the quote unquote healthiest version of myself or to be a part of the wellness industry. And exactly what you said with your nomad lifestyle of like giving up control over certain things. I think it's easy for consumers and people who are looking at this world from an Instagram lens per se and are being told that they need all these things by the hundreds of influencers they're following to feel really overwhelmed and to feel like to live a healthy life, they need that thing that they're being sold. What is your opinion on the wellness industry late as of late and where do you think you stand within it? So I think a few things. I think one of the most important things to remember is that stress has been shown in studies to literally be more detrimental to your health than almost any of the like little things that we're trying to tweak. So when people come at me and they're like, I don't feel like I can like enjoy being in a restaurant because I think about like the toxic cleaners and if they've used like canola oil to cook my food or whatever, I'm like the stress that you're feeling about that is truly more detrimental to your health than any of these little nitpicky things that you're focusing on. So as much as possible, I encourage people to view the bombardment of the wellness stuff as almost like a a chance to work on the stress around that and the letting go of control like we have talked about. Second, I think that the everything is like 
about the dose. The dose makes the poison for basically everything. So if you do nothing in wellness, but focus on the things that are the biggest, um, that take up the most of your time or take up the most of your exposure. So like stuff that I always recommend to people is like filter your water because you drink a lot of water. But should you not eat like chips every week, like once a week? No, because that's not like a huge exposure for you. If you have a makeup thing that you really like that you're going to wear out on special occasions, like that's not going to impact your health. What you do the vast majority of the time impacts your health far more. The good thing about the vast majority of the time things is that they are usually set it and forget it. So like I love to, I think one of the easiest health things you can do is like get a water filter Um, try to eat vegetables at every single meal of the day and then switch out your products because the switching out your products is like a one and done. Like you switch out your shower products and then every time, which it's an exposure you have every single day or bedding. I think bedding is a really great opportunity to, to sneak some wellness into your life. Like I'm not going to wear organic clothes. I can't afford a lot of them. And I, there's not a lot of options to like look the way that I want to look if I find something that's organic great. Um, but if you switch out your bedding for 12 hours a day, well, you're like, I I get five hours of sleep because I am a mom (laughs) for however long you're eight hours a day or however long you're in bed, that's like done. You're not breathing in anything. You don't have anything touching your skin. So I think that spending the 99% of your efforts focused on the things that you're experiencing for hours or every single day makes sense in a huge amount, in a huge amount. And then third, I think that, um, we often like, I think particularly as somebody who hosts a wellness practice or wellness podcast, people are always asking me like these little tiny changes. Mm -hmm. And every doctor I interview is like the little tiny changes matter once you're tweaking and adjusting your routine, particularly if you have something that you're working on. If you have a autoimmune condition that you're working on, if you're working with anxiety, like you or I, have been. You know, it makes sense that you're trying to like make those final little last adjustments to feel your best as you possibly can every single day. But for the vast majority of people and the people who should be doing the tweaks, we like forget about the really basic things. It's like we're so eager to know the specific supplement that can impact our gut health that we forget that the single most important thing we can do for our gut health is just to consume as many plants as possible and also to not stress because stress has a really negative impact of, of your microbiome. So like I think until you are moving your body in some way every single day until you're eating a vegetable at every single meal and until you're doing some sort of stress mitigation practice, whether that's meditation, breathing exercises or something like that, you're kind of wasting your time to be trying to get into like the nitty gritty stuff because those three things are going to have a far more drastic impact on your health. And then if you got those and you're like still wanting to tweak dive in, like go do all the little nitty gritty tweaks and stuff like that. But we're so eager for these, these like little, yeah, like what's the next little thing. And I think that that's where it's capitalism. When you're asking yourself, what's the next thing that I need to be healthier or better rather than like, do I have my baseline covered? Then that's probably capitalism that's like gotten into your head. Well, we all want the easy answer 
that will fix things with no effort. And that's like the magic pill everyone's searching for, whether it's- But I also think that there's then, then I think in an ideal world, we should be asking how can we make those baseline things easier? Like that's a huge part of the tribe, the type of content I try to focus on is like, if eating vegetables is really hard at every meal, how can we make that exciting for you, delicious for you, easy for you? That's like my whole- smoothie like obsession it comes from that like how can we make it easy to eat vegetables if doing some sort of stress relieving practice is hard for you how can we work on that working out I think is funny too because everybody's like what's the best workout for anxiety what's the best workout for hormone health and every single doctor I interview is like the best workout is the one that you actually do every day and so I've started giving myself permission to like move I have to move my body every day but I am not strict about whether that is turning on 90s music and dancing until I'm a little bit sweaty or going for a walk or doing like a YouTube workout or a Sculpt Society workout, you know, it's like- Mine is all walks right now. And it's been so wonderful to give myself grace. And my movement is walking with Liam or literally dancing with him and like 10-minute Sculpt Society exercises. And I've honestly never been happier when it comes to movement. And I feel really great about that. And I agree. I think we all just need to focus on the larger things that are in a interestingly confusing way, easier to control, but often ignored. Yeah. Um, so I do have one thing just before we go for your smoothie. I know you're a smoothie aficionado. I would love for you to help me. I love smoothies, but the task of putting one together in this new motherhood role in the morning Mm -hmm. and then like cleaning a blender, like the whole thing seems so like too much for me. Yeah. So I'm going to need you to brainstorm on how we can make this easier and Yeah. Better. I have practical tips and less practical. Um, my favorite trick with the cleaning in the blender is to just leave it out until your husband gets frustrated and cleans it himself. <laughs> uh, it works pretty much every time. I can't say it's great for a relationship, but uh, I think that's that good. would be probably the straw that broke the camel's back with Joe because he already takes on majority of the housework and he probably <laughs> killed me for that one. But it is actually easy to clean. I don't know why I can't bring myself to clean my stupid blender. No, but I know literally. Easy, but you like, rinse it. About it. I you know, put a I know. dollop of soap and then you blend the soap. And that's, no, that's what that. you do. But like, it's just, I can't explain it. Like, it just feels no, so I know, I get it. So, me, and then it's like taking up so much space on the drying rack. I'm thinking about getting a Nutribullet just so it's so fucking small. Well, something you could like wash in your dishwasher, I think for sure. For the actual making of the smoothie, I have a few options for you. One is you could take it upon yourself to like once a week make smoothie packs. So yeah, like you put all that. the ingredients in a plastic or like a stasher bag or something in your freezer and then it's just dump it in and blend it. Two, and I thought this was really cool. My I have a mom friend who does, who does this. She has a task rabbit come over once a week and they do meal prep for her. So she they'll do smoothie prep. They'll put smoothie stuff in a bag and you can literally put all of your ingredients just in a stasher bag and then you dump it in your blender with water mm-hmm. on the day that you want to prep it. But they'll also cut vegetables in certain quantities, kind of like making her her own, you know, like one of those blue apron boxes or something like that. Yeah. It's super affordable. She pays them, I think they get like what, $30 an hour. They're there for three hours. But then instead of ever ordering out food all week, they just have like home cooked food to ready to go. And I think that was like kind of, I think that thinking about, you know, yes, that's expensive, but it's like one, if you would just default to ordering out, which is what I do when I don't have food prepped in any way, shape or form. Um, 
then that is more expensive. Eating out is, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I put two things for $12 in my cart and then it's like $50. And I'm like, how did that happen? The delivery, the fee (laughs) for the app you're using, like it it, it just adds up to tax everything. Yeah. It's so expensive and you're definitely not nourishing your body in the same way. So sometimes I think that like if we can think of money in a different way, like there's been so many studies that show that we're happiest when we use money to solve problems rather than to accumulate more stuff. So you will almost always be happier if you think about the problems in your life and apply money to that versus buy a new sweater, which isn't really unless your problem was you were cold. But like if it unless it's solving a problem, Mm -hmm. it's not making you happy in the same way. So I do think there's sometimes an argument to be made if that is a real problem and a real goal of yours to use some money to solve that versus using your money for something else. I agree. And it's funny because I literally used to prep for people in their homes and like you'd think I'd have it figured out. <laughs> Maybe but you're like, burnt out. No, I'm I, I, just that concept of it. I can't do it. And the other thing about money, it's so true because all now breastfeeding like in early in the morning or especially when he, Liam was young, like middle of the night feeds, I would like buy all these random fucking clothes on different apps on my phone. And in the moment, it would feel so rewarding. And then they'd come and I'm like, I don't need this. And it's like, a serotonin in the moment. I'm running moment a UPS sure. return facility out of our apartment and Joe's ready to kill me with all the boxes. So I agree. Although Putting that's my- its own feeling too. I feel like the feeling of like every time I return stuff to UPS, I'm like, Zach, I just made $500. And he's like, that's not how that works. <laughs> yep, I'm the same way. It's, it's um, his own feeling of accomplishment for sure. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on here. This was such a wonderful dive back into the podcasting world for me since I've been on break for so long. For people who are listening that want more of you, where is the best place to follow and find you? Yeah. So I'm two words or four words, four words, two phrases. I'm Liz Moody and I'm healthier together. So I'm Liz Moody on Instagram, on TikTok. My website is lizmoody.com. That's kind of the hub of all of my recipes, my podcasts, my eBooks, all of that. And then um, my podcast is called Healthier Together. I have a great episode with you on it. It's for my Thriving Through Anxiety series where I interview wonderful women about how uh, anxiety might've even been an upside or a positive in their life. And I love that episode that we did. So definitely go listen to that. And then Healthier Together is also my cookbook, um, which people still buy. I was like, is that something I should still be talking about? Yeah, you definitely like should. like a few years now, but it's it's still a thing. Yes. Yeah, so all of that will be in the show notes for everyone. So it'll be easily accessible. But Liz, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Well, hello, friends. I have missed you. I figured this was a better episode than ever to kind of hop on here and talk about what's been going on in my world, given that Liz so openly shares her struggles with mental health that she's dealt with in her life. And, you know, I obviously chat about mine and you all know mine, but obviously if you follow on Instagram, you're aware that shit wasn't going too well for me. Um... And I'm recording this right now. It is Wednesday of like this week. And I think I'm potentially coming back onto Instagram on Friday. So maybe later today, if you're listening to this in the morning, the day this releases, um, for context, we can rewind a bit. I feel as if I had this kind of breaking moment recently, three weeks ago, where it was this culmination accumulation yes accumulation of like the past three months so months two three and four of postpartum 
that all just hit me at one time. And I've been talking a lot about this with my therapist where it almost felt that when I delivered Liam, I was so hyper aware of postpartum anxiety and depression because I've struggled with those things, not postpartum, but in general. And so I was obviously hyper aware that that was a potential reality for my future. And with the first month, I didn't feel those things. I just, it the way that she described it, which I think is perfect, is it's almost as if you're the immediate family of someone at a funeral where you are just focused on getting to the funeral, putting on a dress, making sure there's food, saying hello to everyone, and you're in such shock. And that felt like the first month. It's just survival mode. You are, and I'm not comparing this to losing a loved one, but I'm just saying it's this survival mode mentality where your brain is off and you're just doing things that you're told to do. So I knew Liam had to sleep, he had to eat, I had to change his diaper, I had to eat, I had to try to sleep, and you wake up and you do it again the next day. And that was basically the entire first month. It was so just metonymous. I think that's a word, but I'm honestly not sure. I just did the same thing over and over again every day. And then, and I wasn't really struggling mentally at that point. It was just obviously tiring and emotional and hormonal, but I wasn't struggling and then the second that all of a sudden we kind of found our groove, which I would have thought would make things better, it opened up other aspects of the world. And that's when I started to struggle because that's when I realized my life is very different. Things of my past are not the same. Um, I have to change my expectations. I'm still working on that. I have to reprioritize everything in my life. I have to really assess what matters and what doesn't and what gets the amount of time and what doesn't. And it just, I don't know, it's been rocking me a bit. And I think I've been trying to convince myself that I'm okay. And there was this moment where it, it happened right after that COVID scare with Joe. And so I had been parenting Liam alone and it was also when he chose to go through his four-month sleep regression, and so I was also sleep-deprived, and there were just a few days where I could not stop crying. It was nonstop from the second I woke up until the second I went to bed, and I'd be crying because I was so sad, and then I'd be crying because I was so upset that I was so sad, and then I would cry because I felt guilty that I was so sad, and then I would cry because Joe would be playing with Liam, and I'd be upset that I can't just be happy. And that Joe has to quote unquote deal with this, even though I know that he doesn't view it that way. And he's never in my entire existence ever made me feel guilty or bad about anything when it comes to my mental health. But at the same time, it's hard for me to not go there and be like, this must suck for him to have to deal with this. Um, and it was just everything. Every single thing made me cry. And everything just felt really, really heavy. And I felt like there was this cloud over me, and I have for the past three months that I can't escape. And I just feel like a sh I felt like a shell of myself. And I've been really confused and really unsure what to do, who I am, what's even happening. And it's scary because who knows how long this lasts for and everything feels so permanent when you're in it. And... I think the hardest part of this all is just wanting to be happy and not being happy. And the only time I feel like myself and my best version of myself 
and happy is when Liam is in my arms. And I don't mean like when we're like playing on a mat or when I'm breastfeeding. I mean when I'm literally just holding him and looking at him and talking to him. And in that moment, I'm fine. And then the second he leaves my arms, I'm like, what is happening? Who am I? Why is everything so difficult? And the simplest things seem so hard to do. And why can't I just be happy? Thank you, Charlie. If you hear him, I'm sorry. We're going to pause for a sec. Okay, while I paused, um, my battery's died, my recorder. So let's just hope that that entire thing saved. And if this is choppy, that's why. Um, where were we? So I, I honestly was just like, I just want to fucking be happy again. And it was just eating me alive because not only was I sad and anxious and depressed, but then there was this compounded guilt and anger on top of it of just wanting to feel like myself. And I think I felt this way for a while now and I haven't really given it its full attention and I've been putting my mental health on the back burner, which is never something I recommend doing and clearly was not helpful for me because I then hit this breaking point. And for me, I realized that I really needed to make it a priority and take matters into my own hands and put in the work because this isn't a life that I want to, I don't want to feel this way. And of course I feel so much guilt inherently of, well, I have the financial means to take care of a baby. I have a partner. I have all this help. Like how am I struggling so much? Why is this so hard for me? And you know, of course I got a few DMS like, Oh, cry me a river. And I just want to remind everyone what I keep trying to remind myself is that mental health does not discriminate. And you can't control it, even though inherently and conceptually, I can understand that, yes, I have a support system. And yes, I am able to take care of this baby. And yes, we are going to be okay to financially support this child and all of those things. It doesn't change that I'm really sad and that I've been depressed and that I haven't been myself. And I've been noticing it for a while. And I've said to my therapist that there have been times where we're in a big group at the beach, for instance, and I just want to go upstairs and sit in a dark room and not do anything. I don't want to watch TV. I don't want to read. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to be on my phone. I just literally want to sit there and do nothing. And that is not me. And I am able to recognize that that is not me. And I was speaking with a friend and we were. she was saying that the brave thing is making the call and asking for help to your professionals and your friends and after a day of nonstop crying and it all kind of realizing that the past three months have not been maybe what they seem to everyone else from the outside, personally for me, I made the call to my psychiatrist. I texted my sisters and my mom and a few close friends and I was like, I'm depressed and I, I'm not doing okay. And it's really hard for me to do that. Um, I'm not someone that accepts help well or asks for help. And it's really easy for me to just go into overdrive and convince myself I'm okay and throw work at it and focus on that instead of myself. And as a people pleaser, it's really hard for me to do what I ended up doing of calling my management and saying I need a break and we have to put all of these partnerships on hold. I'm sorry. Like, you know, we have to tell these brands that I can't commit to the agreed upon dates of content. And also like to you guys, I, I feel so much gratitude for this community that I also feel 
the need to show up and I feel like I don't want to let you guys down. And so part of me really wanted to continue to share and take you on this journey and be there for all of you because I know so many of you are going through similar things or are learning about this or interested and it's really hard for me to fully shut off. But I was very aware that it was what needed to happen because simultaneously not feeling like myself, I was over consuming social media and I was completely looking outwards instead of looking inwards. And I was doubting myself. I was criticizing myself. I was comparing myself to everything around me. And instead of focusing on me and what I need and who I am and what I do best and what I want to do, I was just taking in too much noise, honestly. And it wasn't helpful. It was detrimental. So I completely was have been off the apps for two weeks, not even consuming, um, obviously not putting stuff out there. I have not been doing work. I've been like in and out of a few things that kind of had to be done on the back end, but really taking took the time off, which I'm so grateful that I'm fortunate enough to be able to do. But honestly, the past two weeks, I've just been trying to tap back into myself and focus on me and really just try to be happy. And so the things that have worked for me, if anyone else is going through this, um, one, I spoke with my psychiatrist and I upped my medication and like that is hands down what has changed everything. I'm not going to act like the other things don't help, but I can't ignore that medication is the main thing that is helping me right now. So yay for science and medicine. Um, I've really been trying to commit to my meditation practice again. You guys know I've talked about this on here that I hadn't been doing it. And the rage I felt for the Peloton that one day was my wake up call. And it's, you know, it's not like I don't have the time. I spend a lot of time scrolling on social media. I spend a lot of time watching these TV shows. I spend a lot of time doing stuff that isn't important. And why am I not making that a priority? So I've been meditating again. I've been journaling every morning, which for me, I have felt such a pull to journal ever since Liam was born and I've just been ignoring it. I don't know why. And it is so freeing for me to write and just let my emotions out. And I've been journaling in the morning, but then I'm also really trying to block off time for creative writing throughout the day. Something I've really been struggling with when it comes to work is just feeling like I'm constantly in response mode and I'm waking up and immediately responding to things, whether it's emails or DMs or texts or whatever needs to get done. And I'm, I'm so busy doing that and taking care of Liam and my contractual work with brands that I don't feel I've had any time to be creative in the content that I enjoy doing. And right now that's writing and I'm really enjoying leaning into that side and who knows, maybe something comes of it. I'm pondering with a potential idea in the future. I don't know. I'm again, I'm trying to figure out what I love about work because I was in a place where I was dreading everything about it. And that's not why I started doing this. I started doing this because I loved it and I wasn't happy in the corporate world and I don't want to make it something I dread and I don't want to dread my job. I think it's a bullshit sale to say that every day I'm going to be so excited about every single thing I do. I don't think that exists. And I think that's a false expectation to set for myself. But enjoying what I'm doing to a degree is very important. And I'm trying to lean into the aspects of my job that bring me joy. And right now that's my writing and connecting with all of you all through that. So 
I've been doing more of that each day. And then the other thing that has honestly been helping so much is a way that I find joy and happiness. I created a playlist and I'm going to share it, but I want more suggestions from you guys. So stay tuned for this. But I have a playlist of songs that just are happy dance songs. And every morning after I meditate, I've been waking up like before Liam and I'm meditating, having my water, my athletic greens and my coffee. And then I do this and I poop and then I get Liam up. And that way I have like my stuff done before he's awake and I'm not playing catch up all day because that does not help me. I need my me time. But I put in my headphones and I pick a song. I hit play on the playlist. So random song comes on and I just dance like a goddamn lunatic around the living room. The lights are off. My eyes are closed and I am just moving and grooving. And I'm not talking like cute dancing. I am losing my mind. I am shaking my entire body like arms up, fully shaking, just letting go of everything and allowing for new energy to come in. And it has been a really wonderful experience. And I know it sounds weird, but it's so freeing. And it also, it's finding joy. It's really enjoyable. Um, And then I've also been trying to finish my showers on cold, which is my way of doing just one hard thing and being like, okay, I can do hard things. I can do this. And waking me up also, um, limiting caffeine. I've moved my afternoon coffee to half-calf, and eventually, hopefully, I want to drop it, but I'm obsessed with oat milk lattes. And it's an expensive addiction that I don't love, but I love it in the moment, I'll tell you that much. Um, And then, obviously, I really want to try and limit my time on social media, and I I really want to go about my work a little differently and that's what I'm trying to assess and stay tuned on that because you know maybe stuff will look different who knows but that's kind of my recap of what's been going on I love you all so much for the kind messages you've sent you have no idea how much they mean to me if anyone else is going through something similar I see you and I love you and it is temporary we will be okay it just takes time and it takes some of us longer than others and that is okay You are all wonderful, beautiful humans, and you are worthy of love and being happy and feeling good. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I love doing this more than anything in the world. If you could be so kind as to rate and or review the show, share a screenshot on your Instagram story, whatever you feel like doing to show some love, I would really appreciate it. Obviously follow at Pod on Instagram and me at Freckled Foodie for more content. Thank you for being a part of the FF fam and I hope you have a wonderful day.